Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. Don Pobia joined, as always, by Kyle Bunch back in Texas. Still rocking the L.A. hat, though. Kyle, how's it going? It's good. It's good. I survived uh, 1,364 miles each way from from Texas to California. So feeling feeling good. Back on my feet. Uh, not in a car. Life is but good. Ready to jump right back into life or what? Yeah, you know, it took, it took a day or two, you know, traveling with a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old and a whole bunch of stuff stuffed into a Toyota Sequoia. It, it you know, takes a moment to recover from, but we're, we're back at it. We're good. Understood. Well, we are joined by a guest this week. We are joined by Megan Huter. Megan was involved with us. I think she came to us and had asked us about doing uh, one of the original women-focused um panels that we ended up doing. We've done several of them since, but I think Megan really kind of pushed us in that direction. She's also kind of the person that got me like, you know, uh, trial by fire in the the agency world. So I, we'll talk a little bit about that. But Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Great to see you. How are how are things? How is life? How's the family? Well, listen, I we survived the pandemic, so uh, it's not over yet, but feeling great. <laughs> is the short answer to that. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's good. Uh, life feels like it's starting to inch back to normal, um, which is a great feeling. So, and, it, and it's inching back to normal as you've really started uh, a new direction in your career. I, I alluded to the fact that you were with, you know, some agencies you've been with uh, Edelman and Catalyst and Endeavor um, really on the agency side. And, and now you jumped into the, the pet insurance business. Tell us a little bit about starting that during a pandemic, as you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, starting a new job during a pandemic is really weird because you're introducing to your, yourself to people over video, <laughs> which is just a very odd thing. And it's hard to build relationships that way. But, uh, but yeah, I decided to make the jump. Um, you know, at Endeavor, I was running, uh, that's where I had been for the past like 10 ish years. Um, I was running a digital marketing team that serviced all the different properties and events. And obviously the pandemic really disrupted that, right? In a really, really big way. Uh, it's going to all come back. But, uh, you know, we, we, we for a good year there, we really, really saw some disruption with an endeavor. And at the same time, um, I have a friend who uh, named Donna, who's the COO here at Pet Plan, which is where I'm working now. Um, I caught up with her uh, probably in like the summer of last year. And uh, she was explaining to me the big business opportunity in the pet industry. Uh, the pandemic caused a lot of different people to go out there and get a pet. Um, and everything pet has just exploded. Um, and the interesting thing about Pet Plan, which is where I am now, um, is that it's a 16-year-old company. Um, it's probably one of the top leaders in pet insurance. Um, and what's interesting about pet insurance is that um, only about it's only got about three percent uh, penetration here in the U.S. Um, but if you compare that to other parts of the world, like Europe, they, they have thirty percent of pet owners uh, have pet insurance. So there's a real opportunity to grow something, a new category, a new product, um, something totally different that I've never worked on before. And I was just really, honestly, like craving that. I think the pandemic just like got into everybody's head and just like. <laughs> You know, what am I doing? How can I learn more? How can I do bigger, interesting things? And how can I adopt a pet, which causes yeah. the industries to boom, right? Did that have something to yeah. do with it? Uh, this like new, like you said, this new uh, product, if you will, in the market. Um, I mean, yeah. it seemed like, especially in the beginning of this thing, the, the adoptions were just like insane. Oh, exploded. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it exploded. I mean, the market opportunity is huge. 
Um, so there's a lot of pet owners out there and also like, you know, vet costs are rising every year. I don't know if you've noticed if you're a pet owner, your vet, vet bills get more and more expensive every year. So there's definitely a need for, for this type of product. And, um, I've never been at the ground floor of a company that's, um, you know, uh, investing in innovation and technology and, you know, has that market opportunity. So it just seemed really exciting for me. So I decided to make the jump. Yeah, it's one of the interesting things we coincidentally just at, at RGA have done some investing into early stage companies in the pet space. And one of the things I was so surprised to find is we were investing in, you know, companies that would, you know, high end organic pet food, all these things that felt like, okay, well, that's got to be a pretty niche market. And, and I'm sure you guys see this too, that the way people spend on their pets doesn't necessarily map to their income levels, right? The, pe- the people yeah. will spend huge money, even if they're, you know, lower, lower income family, but still the pet gets the big, big dollars. It's uh totally, I mean, people, the emotional connection with pets is crazy. Like people make life decisions around their pets. Like they will buy a house that their pet will feel good. in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they make big, big decisions around their pets. And, um, it's, there's a real strong connection there emotionally that we're going to definitely take advantage of from a marketing perspective. It feels like there's actually a, I mean, maybe I'm forcing the, the, the comparison, but it's, you know, the coming from a world of sports where there's sort of, I don't want to say irrational, but, but levels of passion that maybe don't always, don't always make sense going into a different space, but one that people are just as sort of emotionally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. absolutely for sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of coming from a sports space, again, you spend a lot of time and you mentioned what you're doing in Endeavor with sort of the live activation, but before that, you're really on the brand side. So mm-hmm. it's you've you've evolved quite a bit, but let's start, you know, with you know, being a young female in the industry, in the business. Um, you know, it is women's history month. Today I believe we're recording on equal pay day. Um, just any thoughts on that? What how were you received? Um was it comfortable. I mean, obviously you were there for a bit, but any hiccups along the way that, uh, you know, we, we hear about sometimes. Um, not, I never like had one of those bad instances or anything like that. I have to say, you know, um, I will say that just representation matters, right? So like when I first entered the space, there weren't too many senior women to look up to either on the agency side, um, or even, you know, in a big company like Endeavor. Um, and that has changed over the years, for sure. Um, and it's important that it takes place. I mean, like, one example I'll give you right off the bat, when I was in Endeavor, our CMO is Bozma St. John, who um, is just an awesome person to look up to, who became a friend of mine over the course of the time that I was there. Um, and uh, just having a woman in the C-suite um, is just, it's just critical. It's critical. And it's something that has changed, especially in the past, like three, four years, I would say. Um, and just someone to look up to, you know, uh, it didn't exist and now it does. And I think that's everything, you know? Yeah. It feels like, you know, you're seeing advances certainly within pro sports. I feel like, you know, the organizations that have, have made efforts there. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, on the different types of roles. I think one complaint that I've heard at times is that the marketing roles are available for, for female leaders, but sometimes that's kind of like, yeah, okay. A CMO can be a woman, but these other roles at the C level within, within still remain a bit of a boys club. Have you, I mean, obviously you were in more of a marketing and PR space with Endeavor, but have you, Mm -hmm. did you see anything in that sort of 
Yeah, I mean, I think the sports and entertainment industry in general is like that still. Uh, again, it's changing, um, but it definitely is like that. And um, and it's hard because, uh, you know, these are the people who built the industry, you know, <laughs> uh, who are at the top of it right now. Um, and there's going to be a change and it's going to come. But um, that, if for sure, like the top of the biggest companies in sports and entertainment are a lot of old white guys. <laughs> um and I'm just looking forward to to a new day. Well, you've moved on, but before you did, did you feel like you were kind of moving into that role and, and having these younger females look up to you um, in that sense? Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like, um, not only am I a woman, but I'm also gay. Um, and I did a, a panel um, during Pride, I want to say last year uh, at Endeavor and I just gave my personal story, not only of a woman coming up in the industry, but also as a gay person. And um, the room at Endeavor was just packed with all these young people. I mean, just the fact that the, all those people showed up was amazing. And then afterward, like, I want to say I got like a hundred different notes and emails and it was just like people thanking me for sharing my story. I mean, that, that is definitely like what it's all about, you know? Um, and it's very, very important that people at the senior level, continue to do those types of speaking opportunities um, and that they are there as a role model. Like I said in the very beginning, representation is everything. You know, if it's not there, there's no story to tell, you know? Um, so, yeah. I, have a, I was going to say, I have a very good friend that does uh, inclusion coaching, um, you know, kind of helps corporations kind of do this. But I was actually speaking this week with a, an undergrad uh, sports management class at um, NYU, um, well, not in, at NYU, but remotely. And and someone actually asked me, she was a female, she's doing this project on inclusion and she was a young minority female. Um, but what the way she phrased the question was, how do you find representation in an authentic way and, and the term she used without it seeming like you're just virtue signaling? Yeah. Um, have you seen... Um, companies, brands that you might've worked with companies that you work for, uh, that have done it well and other ones that are kind of doing that, mailing it in and, and giving the public a perception, especially again, a, a, a woman that would want to be included in these efforts. You know, it, it was almost like she's saying, I see some of this and it looks weak. It looks like they're just doing it to say that they're doing it. Yeah. I mean, like I've definitely seen companies make these token hires, right. <laughs> that you can tell that they're just kind of like checking a box and it's not necessarily something that's ingrained in their culture. Right. Um, something interesting that was being done at Endeavor before I left um, was developing this program where they were partnering with HBCU um, uh, colleges and universities and um running these programs, right? So like kind of like almost like internship programs, but these programs where it just got people um, of underserved representation into and at the industry to be able to experience it, whether it's sports or fashion or entertainment on the WME side. Um, and I just thought that that was so cool. And that's like such a really kind of important type of program to have, especially in a large company. Um, because if you can, you know, kind of create this, I want to say like new freshman class, you know, that's like different than all the others. Um, that's how you create change. It's got to be ingrained in who you're bringing into the company, not just some token hire, token hire at the top. 
Yeah. And it, it seems, you know, as though, and, and I think there's, there's a balance in, in what I'll say here, but you know, I think sometimes you, what you hear from people is, well, we want to get more diverse, but we're struggling to find the talent that, that can do what we need that represents all of the different races, you know, genders, everything that we want to want to have at the table. And I mean, I think sometimes that that is a cop out in its own right. But but if you if you're going to go down that road, then the very least it seems like you have to do is then, OK, what are you doing to address that? What are you doing to nurture that next level? Um, exactly. And, you know, I, I think that's that's critical. Um, sure. How, you know, how did you see, I think between the, the you know, obviously endeavors involved and, and invested in a number of different sports organizations, how did you see the change? You were there for a long time. How did you see that evolving over time? And I'd say, I'd be very curious, a little bit of the contrast of, of diversity from inclusion when it comes to women. And then, you know, which I think sports has gotten further than a lot of times it feels like, you know, from a, from a gay lesbian standpoint, LGBTQ standpoint, some some areas really lag behind there uh, from from the sense I get. Yeah, I mean, um, I, honestly, like, I'm not an expert in this space at all. It's just it's just my observations, but I'm convinced that the answer lies in young people um, that come into organizations because it just changes things at scale, and that's that's where I have seen the most changes. It's like your entry-level employees, the people that are just starting out that don't necessarily have all that experience that you're looking for, right? Like, how do you bring people like that in and expose them to what you're doing and teach them and and grow their careers um, so that it's built into your company, you know? Um, Again, not to harp on that, I think like that's that's the biggest thing. And I think for gay people, you know, um, we're everywhere, (laughs) whether you know it or not, we're everywhere. And um, I think that is just gotten a lot better. Um, Not so great at the top of companies, but the representation is certainly coming in to the types of organizations that I'm involved in, either on the marketing side or the agency side. You're unique. We've we've had a personal relationship for quite a while, but you're unique in the sense that you're somewhat shy. Um, but I also always feel that you've been an advocate for so many things. Um, yeah. And so it's talking about like representation a little bit, let's, let's go back to women talk sports. Um, again, I think a lot of that had to do with um, how women were covered in sports and how women were covering sports. And, you know, this predates ESPNW and a lot of other uh, female focused voices in the, in the media space. Um, can you tell us about how that started and, and why, why that started? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So I was at the very beginning of my career, like a total baby. Um, and I was working at Edelman. And I remember I had this boss, his name was Mike Krampaski, and he encouraged everybody um, within our department to be very active online, right? Like if you want to learn how this stuff works, have an opinion, go out there, talk about it. You know, that's basically what you guys do and continue to do, which is awesome. Um But, you know, so I was like, I don't know what to talk about, you know, and I was a year out of college. I was a college basketball player. And I just was like, this is, this is what I'm passionate about. I missed playing basketball, you know? Um, And I could remember like the early days of my youth getting, um, you know, Sports Illustrated for Women magazine, which is like real back in the day. I think I still have a few print copies somewhere, um, which are maybe worth something. Um, but, uh, I just remember like that used to exist and then it just didn't anymore by the time I was an adult. So it was like, okay, the internet is here and it's democratizing media. Right. So there has to be an audience out there that wants to hear this information and is just not getting it from traditional media. Right. So I started blogging about that 
Um, and I remember it was an Olympic year. So, you know, some of my articles got some good traction because that's when women's coverage of sports tends to be better. Um, and then I started meeting all these different people online and, um, I actually, Don, I, I saw what you were doing in this blogs of ball space and connecting all these different sports bloggers. And I was like, we can do that on the women's side, you know? So, um, I just met all these different people and, um, my blog turned into women talk sports. And, um, we had about, if I remember correctly, we had about 200 people par- actively participating in it, um, back in the day, which was great and awesome from all different kinds of sports from MMA to women's ice hockey to wrestling to women's football. I mean, it was great. It was cool. It was definitely a community for sure. Um, and that's something I just fell into and just kind of devoted most of my free time toward. Um, and then uh, ESPN came around with the launch of ESPNW. And um, at that point that they kind of like, took the, I want to say like they wanted, they took the reins of what we were doing or we were trying to do with no money. Right. (laughs) And they put the power of ESPN behind it. Um, and we were partners with them. We, we helped them. We went to their summits. And if you remember Don, I went out to their, their launch summits and, um, we really helped them get going. And some of them are still my friends today. Um, and I think they've done a, a pretty good job with that property, you know, um, Still a long way to go. I think ESPN overall has a long way to go, <laughs> um, but ESPNW does too. But it, it's a legit property that people tune into, and they have great advertisers, and it's definitely a business, you know, um, which is what was necessary to happen. And I would say that was when I started pulling back at that point, um, and I started to really dedicate most of my time into my professional career um, and most of my free time too. <laughs> And that's kind of when my, you know, activity in the sports blog world kind of, you know, went down, um, which as I think about is like, I kind of regret it. Like, I wish I, I wish I stuck with it. You know what I mean? I wish I, and I still do, by the way, still do own the domain and I 100% want to bring it back. Um, I just got to find the right people to do it with. We might yeah. be able to figure. <laughs> let's figure something yeah. out there. It's great to hear, though. I mean, th- you know, some people might be bitter about that, but it really mm-hmm. was, you know, back to my original question. It seemed about that like void and that cause that you know you were mm-hmm. looking to push forward. So the fact that somebody with you know major chops like ESPN was able to do that. And then, you know, not just kind of cast you aside, but also bring you in and, you yeah. know, allow you to be a part of it is, is and kind I think, of refreshing to hear. Because I was going to ask, like, you said you stopped doing it. Like, yeah, well, was there bitterness that that couldn't have been your career? But it doesn't seem like that's the case. No, no. And um, I think if I think about, like, the new era of it, right, I see all of these amazing um, women in particular, African-American women in particular, just crushing social media, right? Like TikTok, all over, all these WNBA players, all these, look at what happened with um, women's basketball with the weight room, right? Um, That was nuts, that blew up, right? And that was just some female college basketball player that, you know, was like, this guy, this is not fair, you know? Um, A day later, they had a new weight room, (laughs) you know? So it's, it's really cool. It's really kind of, it's not top down anymore. I think the power of women's sports is in the hands and in the phones of these athletes who are doing a really good job of jumping in. I'm curious because, because I, and I hadn't necessarily even thought about this, but you know, I, I felt like 
ESPNW was a, everything you said, it, they built a thriving property, but mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, if I'm looking about looking at change, it feels like that bottom up kind of what's happened through social media has been so much more impactful mm-hmm. maybe. And maybe you'd say, well, we've gotten there without somebody like ESPN throwing weight behind it. And I don't know, but yep. it does feel like so much of the change we're seeing is happening so much more at that level than, than For the other sure. way. Yeah. Yeah, especially with like the WNBA this past year too. Like they, a lot of their players just being so politically active and jumping in. You know, right when when they were having their season last summer, Sue Bird. I mean, what they did with those T-shirts. I mean, it was it was so awesome to just watch and see. And like, it's like all the stuff that we fought to do from the outside. These athletes are really taking the reins of it now, which is cool. Uh, speaking of Sue Bird, I saw the graphic floating around on social media the other day, right? Again, it seems to pop up all the time, or the comparison between her and LeBron. Um, <laughs> same number of finals MVPs, same number of MVPs, like blah, blah, blah. And then the pay difference of what they get. Um, but as somebody that you know has worked on the brand side and on the business side, and, and I thought of this, as you mentioned, you know, ESPNW, the magazine being there and then not being there, right? There, There's sort of that business and profit side. Uh, have you ever felt conflicted or been in a position where, you know, something that you're doing on the business end, it's kind of like, man, I wish we really could do this, but you know, it, it's, it is or isn't justified doing so because of the audience itself. And that's kind of a, a tricky question, but you know, there, there is the economic imbalance, but there's also the revenue imbalance as well? You know, I, I hear you like on the ticket sale front and stuff like that. Like I get it. And like tune in these traditional metrics of success. Right. Right. But the popularity of women's sports, again, at that grassroots level is it's growing, you know, really, really fast. And um, I think that that's an opportunity for big brand partners to step in. Um, You know, Nike's right behind it on a lot of these athletes. Um, and I think, you know, that that is going to change the game when it comes to the finances of the business, these brands jumping in and participating, you know, it's, I, as, it's as much of a cause as it is a property to sponsor. No, that's know? fair. Uh, you know, here, here's something that, um, you know, I, well, for one, I'd, I'd watch Clarissa Shields fight, you know, over, except for the guys that are rep, any boxer, I'd, I'd rather watch Clarissa Shields fight. And then, you know, uh, the U S women's soccer team, which is kind of where I want to go, you know, they're as good as anybody. And from a, from an entertainment standpoint, you know, one thing, one complaint I heard from the, from women's soccer players, not on the U S national level is that that financial success doesn't trickle down to say the lower folks in the, you know, the, the women's soccer league. So yeah. if you're one of the 30 that's in, you know, the, the national program and, and, and in that pool, you see a lot of these benefits, but how do we get it so that, you know, the entire sport and everybody that's putting their blood, sweat and tears into it, you know, is, is, is compensated properly. I wish I had the answer to that, Don. <laughs> Me too. I throw something out there and just question, you know, and again, that sort of like how a lot of these things start at the bottom up and a lot of what we all kind of working in the space, there's still huge advertisers that do massive media buys. And there's a lot of smaller brands that, you know, up and emerge a startup brand that might just focus on influencer marketing and focus on, sm- you know, campaigns with 
20 people that, that span different groups and reach different audiences. I wonder if some of that, and even as you think about the extension into name, image, likeness, and more ability for people starting at a younger age to get in there. I, I don't know what you guys think, but it feels like maybe some of it has to come at that level where it, it may not be huge checks that are coming their way right away, but it can at least be everybody has a way in through, you know, I look at platforms like Open Doors and Influencer that are doing a really nice job of taking athletes and helping them monetize. Maybe that can play a role in this. I think, well, and those two that you mentioned, the problem that I have with them, and I was just talking to a colleague about this today too, is is I feel like everyone comes in from the college quarterback, college point guard end of it, right? And then, well, what about the practice squad lineman or the women's field hockey player? You know, it, it can't be the same model. I think everything is so top heavy. So going back to that, like grassroots, like really, how do you customize and scale down so that everyone can benefit because I think the yeah. models that are being pushed forth are, I, I used to joke, like if you were getting paid before NIL, then you're probably getting paid after NIL. If you weren't, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't have the answer to it, but I do think one interesting thing that's being done at the WNBA is um, I knew that I know the WNBA, the new commissioner has created this kind of, um, uh, what do you want to call it? Like a collective among other women's sports, and then they're bringing brand partners in that way. So like, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's not just basketball, it's basketball, soccer, X, Y, Z, you know? And I think that that's a really smart thing to do. And they're getting some big brands to step up. Like there's there's the answer. You just answered that question. All right. Now I got to figure out how we take this to other sports too. I think it's just a collect, it's gotta be a collective effort. I think, you know, on some level. If you look back on, you know, having been in the space for a long time, professionally writing, are there other inflection points that have led up to this where you moments where you saw what felt like a leap forward? And obviously women's world cup championships feel like big moments where suddenly you saw, you know, I, I still just remember fresh off of the world cup win at the ESPYs where it was like, you know, Megan Rapino with the slat swagger of like LeBron times 10 on stage with champagne, but like, but, but are there other moments along the way for that you've seen that really sort of took a, where things took a leap in terms of audience, in terms of the way that things were viewed from your perspective? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely world cup, definitely Olympic, um, timeframe for sure. Um, I also saw like, a, again, like I go back to the WNBA cause I just think that they're doing such a good job right now. Um, when they did the orange hoodie campaign at the start of the WNBA season, getting all those NBA players to do it too. Like that was really cool. And it just showed that, that they're in it together and they're part of the same company. And, you know, I just, I think that is also what it, we need more of. Um, the guys really stepping up and helping create visibility for all of this. Um, and those moments when they do are the ones that really break through in a big way. Yeah, no, that I remember after Kobe was out there with the, with the orange hoodie, it was pretty much impossible to get anywhere for for months. I mean, yeah, those are, those are. And look at the impact of that. Like Sabrina is, is like one of the biggest names in women's basketball. And it's like, yes, she was an amazing player, but she had Kobe in her corner, you know, like that's, that's why, you know? So, yeah. And if you're Serena, do you, do you need Kobe? Like that's. Not really. I don't no. think, but I think that it's, it's, it skyrocketed her stardom. A little yeah. Bit. I mean, I, I, but, hate, but, I, I mean, you don't, I, I question, I mean, do you, 
especially a lot of, and I know Kobe gets, there's plenty of people who have contributed a lot. Kobe obviously, you know, got a ton of credit, but I think if, if we think that the eventual path is that you need more, I mean, you do need more men to buy in and to respect that these are the best players in the world, you know, on the female side. I don't know. It does feel like that's going to be a key part of it, that it, it has right. to. But Megan, I'm asking you, like, is that insulting? Like that the women no. need need men? Okay. That like that's kind of the eggshells that I'm stepping on. Like, yeah, I'm you need the NBA some... guys to promote these girls. Like, well, well no, we're women. Have... We don't need we don't need men to do anything. Yeah, no, in, in my opinion, if you need it, but it has to be authentic. Like they have to want to do it. They have to really think that these people are cool. You know, and I just felt like when during WNBA launch, like I just felt like that was the case, you know. Um, it was super authentic and the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah. And, and to me, I guess I would say uh, to me, what you, the reason you need it is to sort of correct on years worth of male driven dismissive. <laughs> you're, you're trying to go back on like all of the years where men, you know, every, every sort of throw like a girl, every sort of derogatory kind of condescending aspect of around women's sports that was largely male driven. So you're trying to kind of reverse field on a lot of that. And, and, sure. uh, you know, it feels to me. Uh, going going back to the coverage side of it, um, you know, I, I like to ask kind of everybody too is um, how much do you think that the the journalist advocates are are necessary in driving the message as opposed to say the athletes themselves? Because you know we've again we kind of talked to all different um, you know ilks of of people on here, um, but that's the question too. Is that I, I forget who we were talking about too? And I said, you know, it seems like everyone has to have an opinion, right? Like that's, oh, it was John Greenberg, right? He's like, that was expected, right? Everyone needs to kind of put a stake in the ground because that's going to get you, you know, noticed and that's going to get you <laughs> paid. But then when you do it, once you're at that point, that's what's going to get you knocked back down, right? How do we push these issues in a way that is more, um, you know, inviting and encompassing as opposed to divisive? Um, or are we doing a good job of it as a society or no? No. I mean, I think we all still have room to grow, you know? Um, I don't know. I have to think about that for a minute. I don't really have a great answer. Okay. Well, speaking of male driven and, and condescending and blah, 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 we, we, we joke and apologize about our, our name of our conference uh, all these years, but I'm glad to see that it was actually inspiring to, you know, to a strong group of, you know, 200 women. Geez, I wish we had that like in our stable. Um, you know, what were some of your thoughts about getting involved? And in, in once you got there, uh, just kind of the environment and, and the people that, you know, you kind of interacted with at the events. So, Don, I can remember distinctly, like reaching out. And I think I did it in some sort of snarky way. I think I reached out to you and I was like, hey, how come women aren't invited or something like that? And then you responded in like a really appropriate, positive way. <laughs> you were you were like, "Hey, I actually don't know why I didn't invite any women. Like, would love to have you." And I'm pretty sure that's how I got my invited. You know, you just like you responded to it positively instead of just like firing back, which was 
Perfect. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm like, yeah. it's <laughs> kind of coming back to me. I'm figuring Rich was involved somehow and like kind of yeah. brokering this. Um, yeah. But no, I don't remember that. But again, it was nothing was ever purposeful. We weren't trying to exclude anyone. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad I handled it that way. I'm glad you weren't going to like tell no, me. No, it's like, I remember being like intimidated because you guys got all the traffic and like all the eyeballs and everything. I remember being intimidated and thinking like this was going to be harder than it actually was. Like, it turned out you became my friend and you're my, you've been my friend for like, I don't know how long have we known each other? Like 12 years, 13 yeah, at years. Least, at least a dozen probably. Yeah. yeah. And like, I've met your family and everybody's so sweet. It's just like, <laughs> it's not what I expected. You know? Which is the internet for you. <laughs> you know? yeah. It wasn't yeah. Ma- Maggie Hendricks was on. She said, you know, the funny thing about trolls is like when yeah. you confront them, <laughs> they let their guard down and they're not really like that. But they're not that I was a troll, but no, that, well, that's good. But you had a hell of a panel, the one in New York at Bloomberg, right? It mm. was Jane McManus, um, mm. uh, who else was on it? Uh, Jamel, uh, Jamel, Richard, yeah. Richard Deich, who I think his first thing was, I don't know why I'm on here. I guess I'm the token <laughs> guy on the female panel, but he, I think he was involved with ESPN. He was sports, sports illustrated. illustrated. Yeah. Sports yeah. illustrated, but he, but he did something with sports illustrated for women, but I mean, that was a great group too. And, and, and obviously a good conversation. And we had the woman who was the professor at, um, uh, where is she? I can't think of it at the top of my head. She had the Tucker Center. Tucker Center. Was that Lavoy? Yeah, Nicole. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Nicole Lavoy. Yeah. Well, so and wait, she was she wasn't in New York though, wasn't she? She was in Chicago. So Chicago, you're so right. You've done, yeah. you've done a couple, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she was Chicago. Yeah. So I'm clear, curious to ask a question. Last week we had uh, Sid Ziegler on from Out Sports, and we were talking a you know similar conversation about take us back to when you were there and how it felt. And he, he called something out and this was, I think he was talking as much broadly about a lot of sports in industry environments, but that, you know, that it was, it was, he enjoyed it at the same time that, you know, at times a very white, straight male environment can do its best to try to be welcoming, but it's a bunch of bros. And I'm curious on, you know, Dawn is a lovely host, but how, how you felt in terms of how welcomed in that room, in the interactions with people and, and candidly where, where you would love to see things evolve in the future or could be better in the future as you think about that sort of thing. Yeah. I think I remember just like not wanting to be laughed at, you know, and I think Don, you did a really great job of like, teeing up everything I was doing and, you know, explaining to everybody why it was important to listen to me and all this different stuff. And I think like that meant the world and that's why it was successful. Um, But I can remember feeling that way. Like, gosh, I hope I just like, don't get laughed at, you know, Um, which can happen. And that's what exactly what happens on the internet, you know? Um, Yeah. I mean, I think the thing about our group though, was it was all people trying to do something what of the same thing, right? It might be different voices, might be different topics, but everybody was hustling and, and enjoying it and working hard. So I think, you know, it wasn't just random sports fans, right? That could be a little more jerky. I think these were people that were respectful of either the business or the hobby, whichever side it fell on. Um, but it's unfortunate, like just that uh, hesitancy or that nervousness that has to exist that again, guys yeah. like us, you know, 
probably don't go in there thinking, oh shit, what are these guys, these sports fans going to think about what I'm doing and what I have to say? Yeah. It's, it's terrible. I'll um, give you guys also like an example of an observation that I've noticed from changing from my old job to this job, which I think is kind of fascinating. You know, I work in digital, right? And I remember thinking like, I, I, like I was really wrestling with the idea of leaving the sports industry and, and it was a very, very hard decision for me. But now that I did, and I came to this much smaller company, these people here are brilliant. And, and honestly, like decades ahead of where we were at Endeavor on the digital stuff. And it just, I, it just made me realize like the different values of the different types of companies, right? Like a big company will spend all its money on these sports industry bigwigs who make big sales and big sponsorships. And, you know, but the investment in digital I know that's part of their vision. They're going to build that out, but like way behind a much smaller company. And um, that's just a really fascinating observation. And it's something, I'm just, one of the reasons I'm really glad I made the jump because I really wanted to learn better and with a hands in a hands-on way, direct to consumer marketing in a digital world. Um, and in the sports industry, they are not ahead of the curve when it comes to that. And Kyle, you probably know this too, from what you do. Um, it was just a really interesting observation for me, you know, and it validated why I made the decision. That I yeah, I think you see, I mean, it's still so incredibly relationship driven. I mean, this is, you know, Endeavor mm -hmm. is, is you know, the master of building and, and you know, managing relationships. And so much of that sports world, you said it is, you know, yeah. a, a sponsorship, strategic partnerships guy who's got his Rolodex and is still, you know, and uh, sure. that's, you know, maybe some of the hope is, is that as you see the change throughout business, right? As suddenly, well, hey, if the guy I'm selling, if, if suddenly it's not a guy I'm selling to, it's a woman, it's a more diverse set of people on the brand side. I think that's that's also yeah. what we're, we're sort of experiencing. It's sports, it may be a little bit worse in areas, but corporate America isn't often much better if you go look at a lot of the, right. <laughs> the pages showing people C-level leadership or, or board of directors, it's still pretty white dude heavy too. So I think that yeah. that's the two sides of it, hopefully. Yeah. But, um, I'm curious, actually, just to just quickly on that front. I mean, when you think about some of that digital sophistication and all, what what would be some of the things that stand out at you as far as things that you're, you're seeing there at Pet Plan that, that feel way out in front from a lot of what you saw in the sports industry, if you could give examples at all? Yeah, it's the leadership. Um, you know, we have a, a, a CEO here who um, has a background in marketing uh, and he gets it and he's it's that's number one. Um, and number two is um, he brought in a couple of guys that that used to work with him at DirecTV and they previously had run digital marketing at the um, the New York Times. And man, like they're smart, you know, um, and it's just like we did. We never had anybody like that. Endeavor, you know, it's just it's just a different world, different priority. You know, um, and it just shows, though, how far behind the sports industry can actually be sometimes when it comes to technology and innovation. Um, it's just like a, it was glaring to me. It, and I wonder, curious what your thought, but I mean, I wonder to some extent how much of that is, you know, the changing face of that business for, you know, where you're talking about organizations that have to be very data driven in their approach. Everything, if you're at direct TV is about churn. It's about the customer acquisition costs. It's about a lot of ability mm -hmm. to track what's working and what isn't. And in sports, I mean, we, you know, you're sort of seeing this slow evolution of, 
you know, NFL goes out and yep. does a hundred billion dollars in media deals that are still largely TV. And you can see where they're slow leading towards something that can be more data driven, but that's still going to be, here's your Nielsen ratings. Those ad ad rates were worth it. Like it's, yeah, I think that has maybe a lot to do or, you know, that, that may be where we start to see the change is just yeah. this, this next decade. It's going to um, get disrupted though. You know, like completely. that's, it's ripe for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and I think, I think what we're seeing too is, um, you know, that it's, it's getting disrupted from the outside, you know, mm-hmm. well, like if you look at this year, it, it, you know, in a lot of cases wasn't when there was no other sports on it and ratings were down, it wasn't, oh, sports is competing with itself. It's sports is competing with Netflix. And you talk yep. about, again, really smart people who know how to market and get people watching and have a lot more resources. I like to point out to people that as much as we love to talk about the growing valuations of, of sports franchises, if you want to go ahead and compare that to like what Netflix was valued at 10 years ago versus now, it's mm-hmm. it's peanuts, right? So um, yeah, but, it, but it's interesting to hear you, you know, it's certainly something that I see contrasting different different organizations. And you see a few in sports, uh, you know, my bias here is both a fan and, and with them as a client, but I think folks like the Dodgers who are some that, that have, you know, put in For more sure. of that thinking, you know, you're starting to see that shift happen, but there's still a lot of legacy players in place and it's still a very healthy business. If I inherited a team from my dad, we're printing, we're printing money. I don't know if should I invest in the future or just kind of ride this right. thing out, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as you look at, you know, from the role and how things have changed on your side and then look ahead at, at sports, you know, both, you know, thinking about that digital evolution and a lot of the things you've done professionally, thinking about a lot of that start and, and time spent playing sports and, and then writing about sports and looking at the decade ahead. I mean, what are some of the things that you're, I don't know if you want to make predictions, if you want to make things that you're just interested in, in sort of watching how yeah. things will play out over the next decade? Um, I'm very, very interested in, um, direct to consumer businesses, um, especially ones that athletes can start. Um, I think that's really cool and interesting space, you know, um, I think I'm, I'm very, very interested in audio in particular, you know, with clubhouse and all these different trends that are popping up. I think that that's an interesting space. Um, yeah, I mean, like I would say those are like my top two and on top of that diversity, right. So like specifically the African-American community, right. Like it's just, it's, they can, they have, it's just limitless if you embrace that as a core value at a company. Um, and I'm really eager to see what companies do with that in the next couple of years. Yeah, the one thing you said about these new technologies too, like Clubhouse, um, you know, it's not like Twitter, whatever their new thing doing is competing with Clubhouse, right? It's it is competing for attention and competing for people's time. So, mm-hmm. right, something inevitably has to drop when these other things pop up. There's only so many hours and so much attention span in the day. Um, question for you as as we sort of wrap up here is your daughter's getting into wants to follow mommy's footsteps. Um, do you recommend flipping it, right? Going to this innovative, smaller, you know, private company or getting that sort of big agency brand experience under her belt right away? Um, that's a really good question, Don. I would say, I would say I'd, 
I would say definitely get the agency experience, but don't spend as much time in it as mom did. <laughs> that's, that's a fair answer. That's a fair answer. And look, I, I know you probably enjoyed a lot of the company and the people that you worked with, but I always joke oh, yeah. with you that you've been saying for years though, that you had to get out, you had to get out. And so when this started percolating, I'm like, Megan, we have this conversation every year or two, like just, yeah, make, we do. just, yeah, just make the move. <laughs> like, come on, like for your own mental health, just make the move. So I yeah. think, I think actually that's, that's a good bit of advice for, for these young females. Um, and speaking about advice for young females, um, what can they do to really um, make their voices heard? in, let's say, you know, the sports marketing world that you were in. I would say create a brand for yourself as a professional and put it out there. Right. Because if you do that, oh my God, like I've seen some women just get crazy, like, you know, their careers take off. Like it's just, you know, it's this one thing that I kind of wish I leaned into a little bit more. Um, and I think it's an area that, especially on social media with young people, um, they can start doing just get passionate about the work you do and like talk about it. You know, you think they're luckier than you were when you were starting with the, you know, the avenues to get their voice out there. Do you think, do you think you had the right opportunity back then or was it limited because of the the platforms that you choose from? Um, for the time that it was, I think I took good advantage of it. You know, we were all blogging. Um, we didn't, we didn't have anything yeah. else to do. We needed to start like a blogger or WordPress or a Zoomla or whatever site to, to get our voices out there. Now it's like, you can For just, sure. pick up, they can pick up your phone and talk into it and you know, people watch you totally. live. But like Twitter didn't change that much. I don't think, you know what I mean? Like it's like, still what it was. Yeah. But yeah. I think the, the personalities really started coming out with like the vines totally. and, and things like that a couple of years, same thing, Kyle, always like a, just a couple of years off one way or another with, with these things that we talk about. Um, Kyle, anything else for Megan? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, I guess the, the follow-up I'd have there in terms of uh, the, and not to try to, to, spin or look at the the negative side but you know i think i've i've always been the same way as far as if you want to be doing something go put that out in the world you don't have to wait mm -hmm. for someone to give you a job to do it go establish yeah. yourself as an expert especially if you can carve out a way to kind of be an expert in a, in something that's new take some take the thing you know and a thing that there isn't any experts yet cuz it's brand new and look at how you can do that at the same time, I mean, and, you know, I, I'm loathe to use the term cancel culture as it does get thrown around and abused in so many other ways. But I think the mm -hmm. perils of social media of, you know, speaking in different places, like, you know, speaking, ha having a perspective can can both be a real asset and a liability. Absolutely. Depending on context. You know, I just see so many times where it's like what they said is fine, but somebody took it and spun it at a certain point. What would be your advice to somebody trying to navigate and build a brand, but do so in a way that to the extent that it's possible, doesn't potentially open them up to risk down the road as their career evolves? I mean, I think it all comes back to what um, you get taught in kindergarten, which is the golden rule. Like, don't treat other people the way you want to be treated. You know what I mean? I think like that is true no matter what medium you're in. And as long as you're not out there like trolling other people and saying rude things. <laughs> and like, if you have an opinion and you're willing to listen to other people's opinions, I think you're going to net out okay. You know, um, just be mindful that whatever you're saying, you'd be okay if someone said it about you, you know? Um that would be my advice. And yeah. you're okay. Your kids and your grandma leading, reading it, you know, years on down. 
down. Exactly. The I think yeah. that was a, I think that was a Chris Lucas bit of advice to some of the athletes that we worked with. Like, if you're okay with grandma reading it, then you know, let that yeah, be your gauge. My other piece of advice would be like, don't. And Don, you mentioned I'm shy, right? It is true. Um, don't be afraid to talk to strangers, right? Like you have to put yourself out there and you have to connect with other people around the stuff that you're passionate about in order to get anywhere, you know? Um, so I think that would be my other piece of advice for sure. That's a good one. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, great way to wrap it up. Megan, great reconnecting with you. I'm glad you can come on. We were trying to get you on earlier. You had the job thing, you know, going <laughs> on. So we found, uh, you know, you're settled in a little bit. I'm glad we got you back here to speak with you. Thank you for your advice. Thank you for your involvement, your friendship, the kind words today. Until next week, I'm Don Povia. That's Kyle Bunch. This is the OGs. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Megan. Bye.